Well, if you've been attending Clarity Gatherings over the years, you know that around this time of the year, we dedicate our gatherings on focusing on Scripture that prepares our hearts for an annual celebration of Jesus' resurrection, a, a holiday that we all know as what? Easter. Easter. And this year, we're going to kind of follow suit what we've done over the past Goodness gracious, this will be our ninth, will this be our ninth Easter? Ninth? No, it's, no, our ninth Easter, because the first year, we are, we are celebrating year 10 coming up. Oh, I can't believe that. Oh, goodness gracious. But ninth, this is our ninth, our ninth Easter. And this year we're going to take the next five weeks leading up to Easter, starting from what is commonly referred to as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and we're going to follow that storyline of Jesus that eventually leads us to God's greatest display of love. Now, what is God's greatest display of love? It's this, and I, and because I don't want you to miss this, it's, it took a lot of time to really think about writing this out. I want you to hear this. This is God's greatest display of love. God allowing his one and only son to die an atoning death for our sins on the cross so that you and I could be reconciled to God and experience all the benefits and promises of being part of God's kingdom by responding to allegiance to Jesus as king. This is the greatest display of God's love. Him sending his son. In, in, in other parts of the scripture, it says this, and this how is how you will know what love is. God sends his son to be an atoning sacrifice for you. This is God's greatest display of love. And if you don't get anything else out of this message today, I want you to, I want you to know this. I want you to see this. Maybe if you want to even take a, take your phone out and take a picture, take a screenshot. Maybe I'll, maybe we'll post this, but this is God's greatest display of love. You need to know this today. That God sent his son so that you and I could have the opportunity to participate in the realities of the kingdom of God by pledging our allegiance to Jesus Christ. As king. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that each week reveals an aspect about Christ's heart and his sacrifice that invites you and me to hopefully a renewed devotion to Jesus in maybe surprising ways. I, I, I know that's kind of audacious to say, especially if you've been around church for a while. There's not nothing new you've seen. But I hope, here's what I hope, that as we travel through the scriptures together, from Jerusalem to the cross, that maybe you'll encounter in the scriptures Jesus in a way that, I don't know, maybe surprises you. In fact, I believe as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, that's what the series is about, over the next several weeks, what we learn through the scriptures I believe it does have the power, if we let it, has the power to challenge us and then to empower us to put aside our selfish desires and maybe, this is offensive, misguided understandings about who God is and maybe what he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's that. Now, if you're not someone who believes everything you've heard about Jesus in the Bible, I'm, I'm at least going to assume that if you're here today 
And maybe, maybe that's not the extreme to where you're at. Maybe, maybe you, you, you are just someone who's is wrestling. You're wrestling with this idea of, of Jesus in the Bible. You do kind of believe it, at least for right now, but you're, you feel you're kind of on the edge of like, I don't, I'm not really sure. What I hope is that, well, first of all, I'm, I'm going to assume that you're here today because you're at least curious, at least curious to know what makes people who want to repurpose their rhythms and reorient their lives around this person named Jesus. That you're at least curious to find out like why and how and why people would do that. Or at a minimum, you're, you're here because someone invited you and they promised you lunch or something like that. But either way, I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that you join us over the next few weeks because this is what we're going to be learning. We're going to be learning... Uh, in, in, in these next few weeks, we're going to be learning about, here's, here's an interesting thing. We're going to be learning over the next few weeks about what motivated these early believers of Jesus to, de- to, to, to go from this, this small cellular group who were quite frankly led by people like Peter who were supposed to be bold, but yet at the auspice of the accusation of being a follower of Jesus, he was like, no, not me. They went from that to the kind of people who would go to the ends of the earth and who would even die for Jesus. If you want to know what made these people live that kind of life, this is what we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks. Now, that's a hard sell, I know, but I'm, I'm hoping that just the scripture itself would at least give you a picture of like what made these early followers of Jesus be the kind of people they were, and live the kind of life that they lived. So, I want to invite you to join us over the next five weeks. Have you found Luke chapter 19? Hopefully you found Luke chapter 19. If you haven't found it, there is a table of contents in front of every paper Bible, and Google usually works, Luke 19. So, we're going to read our passage together, and then we'll dive into a conversation about how what we are reading this morning challenges us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 28. When he, Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Say this, uh, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it was just as he told them. It's so funny. It even seems here that Luke is kind of surprised that things were just as Jesus said they would be. But things are often just as he says it will be. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the donkey? Um, the Lord, what did he say? Needs it. <laughs> the Lord needs it. And they said, and then they brought it to Jesus. After throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they have seen. Blessed is the King 
who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Would you join me as I pray? Father in heaven, thank you for your word, which is not only a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, but it is that which helps expose our lives of the areas that are incongruent with your standards. And then it gives us light and hope for how we can live a life according to your will and your way. So Holy Spirit, this morning, would you move in our hearts? Would you move among us and lead us with your kindness to repentance? And this we pray, Lord. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive those who trespass against us. And forgive our trespasses. Yours is the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen. Maybe uh, <laughs> maybe it was specifically the church I grew up in. Or, or maybe it was the specific kind of era of worship that I grew up in in the 80s. Uh, anyone, anyone go to church in the 80s? Were you in church around the 80s? Like, there's some interesting music that happened in churches in the 80s. Uh, and the 80s was very interesting because you had Maranatha worship. Y'all remember? And in fact, there's a great movie coming out. Uh, Jesus People documents the whole uh, Calvary Chapel movement. Jesus Revolution. Okay, Some of you might know this, but I, I'm, I'm actually or Calvary Chapel ordained pastor. That's where I kind of got. So I'm really excited. I want to see that movie. But Maranatha Praise came out of this whole thing, but not all churches were doing that. Churches were singing some other kind of songs that were like a little bit newer than hymns. And the church I grew up in, there was a song that I think we sang it like every week in kids' church, but it was also a song we sang in like adult church, which now that I think about it, I'm like, how did we pull that off? That's just kind of weird. And, and I don't know if it maybe it was like my church. They had, they had, there was this, there was this weird, I don't know, fascination with everything that like sounded Jewish. Uh, and so they had this song like, dun, 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 and it went like this and we go, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, glory. Yeah, uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, glory. Jesus, Prince of Peace, glory. Uh, Jesus, Prince of Peace, glory. Yeah, y'all went to the same weird church. Okay, that's awesome. Right, so. And if you didn't, if you don't, have no idea what I was saying, bless your heart. If all you know is how great is our God, that, that was a, that was a, that was a zenith of like, there you go, there you go. That and celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Alright, anyways. Stop. Calm down. Not in the message. Hold on. Let's get back. King of kings, Lord of lords, glory, hallelujah. Why didn't I even bring that up? I don't know. Anytime I could sing, I get it. Uh, But today's passage has to really do with this theme of Jesus as king. Right? And today's passage of scripture, if you follow along and read any kind of Bible scholars on this passage of scripture, they'll tell you that this scripture, this passage of scripture points to one of the, it's really one of the most overt and clear establishments of the theological doctrine of Jesus' kingship, 
that Jesus is the king of kings. The question is, why does like Jesus need to be king? Like why does, why does Jesus need to be king? Well, in order to understand that, I, I think it's important for us to kind of take a history trip back to the beginning. To the beginning. Because in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. And he created everything within the earth. And everything both in heaven and in earth were united with God. And most importantly, God was not just in unity with mankind, but he lived. He walked with mankind. But then something tragic happened, right? The unity of heaven and earth was separated by sin because of our desire to seek autonomy. (laughs) We bought into the lie that, no, no, God doesn't have our best interest in mind. In fact, God knows that we could ourselves become gods. And if you look very carefully in all of our lives, even your own life, when we've fallen short of God's glories, haven't, haven't, haven't we been just seeking some version of being the Lord of our own life? Like, we know what's best. We know what's best. Despite this, though, God promised to his people that he would return. That's good news. And he would extinguish sin and evil from all of creation. And so God starts the story of redemption through a man by the name of, does anybody know? He's, we call him Father, even though he's not a priest. Father Abraham, who, what? Had many sons. Had many sons. Had Father Abraham. No, I'm not going to sing it. I know you thought I was going to. Gotcha. So God starts the story. Listen, God starts the story of redemption If you want to know like why Abraham was important, God starts a story of redemption through this man by the name of Abraham and his whole family. And God calls this family of Abraham to be representatives of God to the whole world. That was the purpose, that they would display the reality of God's grace and his kingdom to the world. That's what they were called to do. Now, the Old Testament is a collection of writings that chronicle this family of Abraham doing good and then failing and then repenting and then doing good and then failing and then repenting. But even though they continued to fail, God never failed to keep his promise of sending the so-called snake-crushing Messiah King that through whom salvation would be offered to the entire world. And until Jesus' birth was announced to Mary by the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, the people of God lived in hope that one day God would send the Messiah who would once again establish his establish God's kingdom on earth so that like everything that was in the beginning would be as God himself declared after each day of creation was done. It is good. They hoped for this. They longed for this Messiah, this king, so that a new kingdom could be established here 
on earth. So why do we need Jesus to be king? What's so important about this idea of Jesus being king? Well, when Luke writes what he writes here in Luke chapter 19, specifically in this first part, uh, verses 28 to 30, listen, he is purposefully utilizing familiar Old Testament prophecies about this promised Messiah king, specifically language used by the prophet Zechariah. And here's what you understand. Look, I'm about to read this to you. It's, it's right here. This is written hundreds of years before. Can you not hear the reverberations of what Zechariah was saying in the realities of what we're reading here today? And this is what Zechariah says, Rejoice, O people of Zion, as he's talking about this coming Messiah. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble. Riding on a donkey. And as if though, like Zechariah was challenged to make the prophecy even harder. It's like, oh, anybody can ride on a donkey. No! It'll be on a young donkey. Bet. <laughs> like, like, uh, let's see that happen. All right? And this idea that Jesus is king is something that the average church person is familiar with. Like we sing about it, like Jesus is king, king. You know, if you grew up in the 80s like I did, you sang about it, king of kings and lord of lords, glory. Thank you very much. Hallelujah. But sometimes, listen, but sometimes, listen. The average church person knows that Jesus is king. But listen, I, I, want, I wonder, I wonder if the extent that Jesus is king is only in the instances when we sing about him in worship. Like, I, I wonder sometimes if the only time that Jesus is king, both cognitively as well as audibly, is when we gather for worship and I make you sing about it. And listen, I, I, I've been part of church for a really long time. And if I've, I've had my fair share of, of church people from all kinds of denominations. I was, I was born, you know, Filipino. I was born Catholic, right? Every Filipino is, you're Catholic. You're automatically Catholic. You don't, don't even have a choice. I, I, I still have pictures from my christening, right? And, uh, and, you know, just a couple weeks ago, everyone from, uh, my dad's island celebrated Sunulog. And we just, you know, danced around with the baby, Nino, Santa Nino. Anyway, some of you don't get it. But anyways, you have to be there. Uh-huh. Right? So I get this. I, I grew up in that, and then we grew up Church of the Brethren, and then we became Pentecostal, and then I went to college, and I'm like, ah, I'm Pentecostal, but I don't really fit the Pentecostal mold. Oh, it's Calvary Chapel. I kind of like that, verse by verse teaching. And then I grew in theology, and I said, ooh, I really like theology. And then I found these free church people who were all Piper heads, and I was like, ooh, yeah, John Piper, this is really good. Mm, I'm like, I'm feeding, I'm growing, I'm growing. And then all of a sudden I became a Baptist preacher, mostly because they're the ones who would help us plant this church. And so I've come full circle, and then I've, I've done all these different kinds of things. I've, I've been all parts of all kinds of churches, and I know church people. And if there's one thing I've noticed about church people in America, and I've been a pastor in, in, in Florida, in California, here in the Midwest, I've been literally all over America. If there's one thing I've noticed about church people in America is that there are many who have tried to pair Christianity with their ideas and idols of nationalism. Like, Christians have 
paired this idea of like, I'm a Christian, I am a C, I'm a C-H-H-R-I-S-A-A-N, I have C-H-R-I-S-C, and I'm H-E-R-T, and I'm L-I-V-E-T-R-N-A-L-Y. And they tried to mix that with, and I'm proud to be an American, or at least I know, right? And they've put together this version of Christianity that I'm just not sure that God would have really been a fan of. In fact, I, I, I would... I would go as far to say it's, it's kind of repulsive. And this repulsive marriage of nationalism and Christianity that has been largely responsible for what I, well, not, not what I call the sociology. Everyone knows, understand the great resignation over the past couple of years, right? The great resignation, this move of people resigning from their jobs, moving on, doing. But in the churches, there has also been a great resignation. There's been a great resignation of people who have said, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Part of it has to do with the way people have seen the church double down on their idols of nationalism and mixed with Christianity. And others have done it just because maybe they're deconstructing and they're, they're just dig- they were given the opportunity and the permission not to be part of fellowship, not to, to be in community with other people. So there was literally no one able to go, you know, that thing you just said, <laughs> I call BS on that. <laughs> so all of us over COVID, we're able to live in our own, we're able to go to church at home, have our own little ideas, have our own little theological thoughts without anybody calling us on our stuff. And we're able to, and then we, we, we emerged out of COVID going, like, I'm pretty smart. I've got this theology thing figured out. In many ways, look, I, I get it. Sometimes when I look at Christianity in America, and what it's come to represent in pop culture, right? Goodness gracious, sometimes I find myself saying, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I love Jesus, but I don't think I want to be a part of that. Like, if I'm being honest with you, like, as a pastor, I get it. <laughs> sometimes I look at the, the church in, in this Western world and I, and I go, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I really want to be a part of that. But, but what if what if we could recapture though? What if we could what if we could rediscover what living life under Jesus' rule and reign as king looks like? What what if we could reimagine our lives where, where Jesus is king? And though we're maybe earthly citizens of this country called America, ultimately the citizenship of our heart, (laughs) our allegiance is found with a king in a kingdom that is not of this earth. Like what if we could imagine that? What would it look like? I think Luke begins to paint that picture for us here in this passage. Look at what Luke records happening after Jesus the King gives instructions that one Bible scholar says are laden with royal significance, preparing for the more explicit affirmation of Jesus' kingly status in what follows. I just love what really smart people do with words. But here's what Luke says. Verse 32, so those who were sent left and found it just as he has told them. 
And as they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the donkey? And they said, The Lord needs it, they said. And then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. I, some of you, this will feel like I'm pushing it. But listen, I, I promise I'm not. There is imagery here being painted by Luke. Purposeful imagery. Jesus said, do this. By the way, as I say what you're going to do, you good Jews are already going to know that it comes from Zechariah chapter 9. You're going to know. You're going to know. Because I did add the young cult thing. Like, just in case if you're wondering, like, I wonder if he's quoting Zechariah 9. Oh, he said young cult, remember? Bet. And that makes sense that they would do what Jesus said because they were followers of Jesus, right? They had given their allegiance to Jesus for all intents and purposes. So when asked to do something by their king, they did it. And if the church is going to be filled with people who Jesus is their king, then we who are the church must be people who change our allegiance from the things of this world to the God who made the world. This is because when Jesus is king, we change our allegiance. In other words, we, we, we turn from living life our way and now we live it God's way, which is, by the way, if you've been with me for a long time, that is a picture of what? Repentance. Repentance literally is a word that means turning. <laughs> if you can break it down, it means, it means I was going this way, and nope, I'm going to go this way. And I can imagine that as the disciples carried out Jesus' instructions, there could have been some temptation maybe to change the plans to fit more of a narrative that they hoped for. If you understand what was going on here at the time, there was this, this real, there's a disconnect. Jesus said, I was king. And then the disciples were, yes, you're king, you're Messiah. And then as Jesus talked about his humility and what he was doing on earth, it, it seemed like if you follow the disciples, like they just didn't get it. They're like, oh yeah, okay, all right, so what are you going to conquer? Okay, okay, all right, okay. Love neighbors, okay, that's great. Okay, no, forgive, yep, no, yeah, I, I love forgiveness. All right, okay. When are we going to take down the Romans? <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. And so there were a lot of this going on with Jesus' disciples, and I, and I could assume that there might have been a temptation to change the plans as they've been instructed by Jesus and to follow what Jesus did, maybe chance to just to tweak it a little bit, and just to kind of maybe add a little bit of spin on, you know, we're still kind of doing what Jesus told us to do, but we're going to put out a little spin on it. Like, you know what? I know Jesus means well. You know, he's that super humble guy. Like, you know, but, you know, we need to help him because he would never go get a white horse for himself. But I know Jesus. Let's go get him a white horse so he can ride into Jerusalem like that conquering king that we've been looking for. But is that what they do? No, that's not what they do. When caught untying uh, untying the the colt of the donkey, they, they could have reacted in any way that they wanted to. They could have said anything they wanted, but their allegiance to Jesus helped them follow his instruction, his instructions to the T. Untie, someone questions you, what do you do? I'm gonna fight them! No. You just, you look them in the face and you go, the Lord needs it. That's what they did. They, they 
followed what Jesus said. And, and this is just a, a good question to ask yourself in, in light of what we, re- we read. This is just a good, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, don't worry. You can, you can make fun of us as, as we, we sweat. If someone were to follow you through your everyday rhythms, would they get a sense that there is a deep allegiance to Jesus as King? Like if someone were to follow you, hover around your shoulder and watch, I'm not even, I'm not even talking about like what you're thinking in your head. That'd just be too revealing. But just watched how you'd carry yourself in your everyday life. And not maybe necessarily in every moment, because that's really tough. Like, well, how am I, how am I submitting to Jesus as king by brushing my teeth? Well, that's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about in the grand scheme of how you're living your life and the decisions that you're making and the hopes and dreams you're putting for yourself and how you're utilizing your time, your resources, how you're, how you're engaging in relationships and, and how you're thinking about your hopes and dreams. Would someone get a sense, shoot, would someone get a sense that I serve King Jesus? I don't know. I don't know. I hope so. Which begs the question, how does a person show their allegiance to Jesus as king? And this is what I really want to talk about as I finish up here. I'm going to give you three little things. It's a three-point message, old school. This is how we show our allegiance to Jesus as king. First, we obey his commands. First John 5.3 says this, For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. Question. How are you doing at living out the things you already know God has asked you to do? I'm not talking about the, like, oh, um, I want to follow God, but I just don't know, like, this thing. Uh, I'm, I'm heading, thinking about heading into college, but I'm not sure. I want to go to NYU, but I don't know if that's where God wants me to go. I just don't know. I don't, you, know you know, like, do I, you know, I, I don't know. Do I, do, I, do I bench up from 400 to 450, or are my legs big enough now? I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm talking about the things that God knows, that, that, that God has told you to do. Explicit things, like, don't lie. <laughs> Don't kill. Don't steal. Maybe it's the specific things that throughout your life that God has asked of you. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's not for someone else. But, you know, don't be a, don't be someone who's taken maybe by wine. Maybe for you. Like, what is it that you know that God has asked you to do? How are you doing? How are you doing? If you want Jesus to be king, we need to obey his commandments. Second, we need to, we need to love God's people. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Phil, how dare you tell me that I question? How dare you question my love for Jesus? How dare you question whether I'm a disciple? How dare you? I'm just telling you what Jesus said. First John 3, 14, listen to this. If, if that doesn't get you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in 
death. Don't miss this. Many people say, I love God, but I don't really care for his people. Or they say, I have a personal relationship with God, but I don't need to be part of any church. But according to the people who live with Jesus, were taught by Jesus, eventually died for Jesus, what did they teach? They taught that our spiritual life and love for Christ is demonstrated in our love for Christ's bride, the church. In fact, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you're actually spiritually dead. That's just what it says. The question is, do you love the believers in your life? Have you reoriented your life so that you could do that? Repurposed your rhythms so you could make that happen? I'm not asking you to give your whole life up and give up all your current friends and all your... Have you started? Have you tried to figure it out? Remember, this is, we're, we're in a long game here. And if you want Jesus to be your king, you should embrace others who love and follow Jesus with love as God has instructed us to do. And then last but not least, if you read verses 32 to 35, I'm running out of time here. I'm so sorry. But you'll see that the disciples of Jesus, they not only just send Jesus on his way, like they get him the donkey, they even you know help him up on it, and they could have at this point be like, all right, Jesus, we did our part. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We'll see you there. We'll see you there. We'll see you there. And we'll, we'll, we'll cheer you as you come on in. We'll be like, yeah, that's Jesus. Jesus. Woo. I don't know if that's, the, I don't know if they swung their hips like that. But that's, you know, they, Jesus. That's, but that's not what they did. What did they do? They followed him along and they took their robes and they kind of created this, this, this like, Grand carpet just announcing the fact that Jesus was coming. They gave him, they gave, they, they gave, they gave attention and they made attention known. And this is really the last idea of what it takes to make Jesus our king and we need to give him our attention. We need to give him our attention. A pastor by the name of Louis Giglio recently gave a talk this past January to a stadium filled with people called Passion Conference and he uh, talked about this importance of being aware of where we invest our attention. In fact, I'm just going to go ahead and use this illustration. It's really good. Because he actually makes a statement. He says this, quote, We are living more than ever in an economy of attention. In other words, the way the economy works is based on your attention. And multiple lifestyles are now emerging of people of all kinds of messages, lanes, and purposes, and they're banking on you giving them your attention. He goes on to talk about what all of us know about the realities of social media and how social media monetization works. If you don't understand that, then, well, don't worry about it. But he talks about that, and he talks about this current fad and this current obsession with pushing people to get absorbed into things like social media by people who want to influence us. They call them influencers, right? And he doesn't, I mean, he goes into a little bit more about talking about like how social media is dangerous and all this stuff. And that's not my message for today. The message, the point that he makes that I really think is, is worth noting 
as we travel through this passage, is, is this thing he said. He said, in this economy of attention, my attention is the thing I should actually be paying the most attention to. In this economy of attention, my attention is the most important thing I should be paying attention to the most because God is actually inviting me to give me his, inviting me to give him my attention. And the disciples got Jesus, his donkey even helped him up onto it, but it wasn't enough just to send Jesus on what he would do. To only do what he could do. Only he could ride on the colt of the donkey. Only he could be walking in, could be riding in as king of the Jews. But they participated in what Jesus was already up to. Listen. They just didn't let Jesus go do his thing. They said, no, 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 no. Jesus is our king. And we will go where he goes. And what he does, we will follow. And even as he does, we are going to make sure that we are a part of what he is up to in this world. And we're going to do that by giving him what we can, our attention in this moment. And then making sure that in this moment, everybody else knows that Jesus is king. So that they could give God their attention as well. I don't know where you are at your journey of faith in Jesus, but no matter where you are, could I encourage you to remember that Jesus is not only the king of kings, but he desires to be the king of your life as well. But you need to obey his commands. Love his, two, love his people. And three, give him your attention.